0: This is The Balancing Act by Security Compass, your guide to going fast while staying safe in today's digital world. On Part 5 of Leaders in Product Security, Rohit Sethi, CEO of Security Compass, is joined by Yane Usseleto, Lead Privacy PM at Google. Yane has a long experience in the ICT industry, having begun his career already during his studies in 1982 as an independent software developer and consultant for small businesses. He began working with security-related tasks as an IT support and electronic banking specialist. This took place in several Finnish banks, including Marita Nordenbanken, as a global cash management specialist and product responsible for telecommunication areas of cash management software. As the director and head of Nokia product security, he provided security topic matter expertise to Nokia Government Relations, Nokia Communications, Policy Framework, and Nokia Sales Organization, and has been a board member in several product security, internet security, and software security related forums, such as SafeCode, Global Platform, ICASI, and Trusted Computing Group. For the last five years, Yane has been building and managing global cloud privacy programs first, for Microsoft Azure and now for Google Cloud.
1: Hello, Yane, thanks for joining. Thanks, thanks for having me. So let's get started here. I think we have a, an interesting angle to begin with, which is we're talking about product security,
2: but maybe we should back up a little bit and, and ask what is a product? That's a great question. There are probably as many definitions as there are people. Um, I'm typically thinking product as something which is productized. Like you are selling anything, you sell software, you sell device, you are selling car, you're selling house. It's a product. And that puts me a basic for product security. Thinking on, and maybe I'm, I'm taking already it forward to start talking what product security is then, if, if that's okay. Yeah, that's that's great. Okay. So um, based on this really wide definition of product, I take product security in a similar magnitude like Product security is anything you do in order to protect that product or the business is product is used for. Like if I take a practical example, when I used to work with Nokia, we took like, okay, product security is protecting this device against misuse and all kinds of things. But it also protects our own business model as a Nokia. And it protects our customers' business model when they are using that product for their own use. So that makes like super wide scope. And that was just the device. Mm-hmm. And when you go to the networks, you go to the cloud, the same thing applies. And and therefore, some see product a little bit more narrow scope, but I, I want to operate in a wide scope. And I, you know, I probably explain later a little bit more why it's so. Okay, sounds good. So maybe let's let's go next to you
1: defined a bit about what product security is. How does it differ from traditional cybersecurity?
2: Mostly it's that the holistic nature. When you talk about cybersecurity, I haven't really read all the definitions. And again, you know, I think there are hundred people who I can point me wrong, but I, I see cybersecurity more concentrating on online services and information security, like around information security more than product security can be also like the physical device itself is not stolen. Right.
1: Okay. How
2: does product
1: security contribute to the
2: business overall? Um, that actually is coming through the same idea on, on protecting your own business model and protecting the customer's business model, which is creating foundation that there's, you know, any business is possible when you are able to protect that, that the product you are selling. And then it's coming the, the indirect uh, protection, which is more like secure transactions are possible, highly trusted transactions are possible, you are creating an, an system which can support all kinds of business, not just network connections, but actually trustworthy uh, uh, transactions between client and, and uh, server or between people, between businesses. And it's a huge enabler. If you think like, okay, without this product security, your product is unreliable. It, it cannot be trusted. Nobody can know if the manufacturer is the one, what the brand says and, and it's coming through everything. And when you gain the trust, you are able to load more services. You are able to load more use cases on top of the system as well. And that that makes it like huge contributor for the business on, on the product side who are selling the product, but also on the side who are using the product. Got it. So, you know, that
1: clear, you know, it clarifies the business value. I think one thing we often see is people struggle to measure product security. So what's your experience in that? How do people, how can an organization measure product security?
2: Oh yeah, that, that's one of my favorites. Like I, I really like that topic because I still claim there is no perfect way of measuring the security. You can believe you are as secure as you, you can, but there still are unknowns which can make you vulnerable after all. But again, uh, if you're thinking on security as a fundamental, um, measuring is is absolutely important. And you can measure security in maybe two ways. It's one is like, what's the level you should aim for? And that's a kind of traditional uh, risk management question. Like, oh, here is my asset. It's this valuable to me or to my business. I must invest this much to, to protect it. And if my investment is required to go higher, than the value of the whole business and the product, then probably it's not a good business case. I'm trying to do something wrong. so, And that's the basis of, of thinking, uh, measuring security, even though it's more like your security investment instead of the security itself. right? But that's, that's like a fundamental definition for it. And when we then move on the side of the product security, then we are coming more like, okay, um, I'm having all these capabilities, how this will impact the outcome, how much I'm putting effort of creating this security. And then the product itself is, is reflecting that investment in practice. And you think online systems, operational security is, is one part of, of the, the deal. Like you do all the traditional stuff, like in intrusion detection, firewalls, or whatever you do, like the operational side of the security. But I still like the idea, like all that stuff, and even more, they still all rely on software security itself. Like it always comes to the software security, like whatever systems you are running, practically the software is the one which makes the vulnerabilities, whether it's the the software design failure or configuration, usage failure or, or real bug or vulnerability inside the software. So once you have done all the necessary, then you end up of having software security after all and then we start talking how you are measuring your software security and typically you know you are using tools like pen testing tools code scanners fuzzers whatever and they give you like certain level of confidence that okay there are no easy bugs but then you still can have a design mistakes in your software and you end up in the same trouble again like okay how can i find all the design mistakes can i do like deep code reviews here
1: right
2: and that loops back a little bit like okay where is my most valuable asset code handling that asset is probably more critical than some other parts of the code if you do it in the the right way. So therefore, I've been ending up of like, okay, I know this operational stuff. I have all these tools and and processes to make the secure software. What's left is like, oh, what my people are doing, like what what my team is doing and how impactful is that? And there is, is my favorite thing. I'm a fan of the maturity models. You look your product security program... And you look at all things you do, and then you go them through one by one. That, Am I doing this enough? Should I just do this more or less? And why should I do this more or less? And you do this kind of self-analysis and then you start following how these all correlate each other. And that would give you some level of understanding where you are with your security. And of course, it also probably gives you the level of investment you are already doing. And then you can compare it to your business case and think like, hmm, is this right or wrong?
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. That's a interesting take, uh, quite holistic. So, you know, combination of understanding the return on investment overall, the spending, and then also getting into how you measure the inherent yep. security capabilities, for lack of a better word of that product and, and how, how secure it's been built. Um, it makes sense. Although I think that's the thing a lot of people struggle to measure, but uh, but People are getting better at for sure. What are some of the common challenges organizations have when they build and run product security functions?
2: I think the, um, the main thing there is how you make the, the security as an integral part of the product creation or software development or, or the running the system. Like, you know, if, if you look any typical organization, there is engineering team in, in some cases, there's even product team, and then there is security team. And as long as these are isolated, there's challenges in, in, in integration. And therefore, how you are making this, this security efforts, all these, again, these, these three things, the risk management decisions, the, the capabilities and operations, and the engineering itself, as seamless as is possible to support the actual creation of the product and running the product. And, and typical challenges are like, these are isolated and they can see only each other through some narrow channel like meetings, code reviews, or, or some particular tooling sets. And then there are these kind of awareness campaigns, trainings, and I think we all have seen it like engineers sitting in a mandatory security training, how excited they are there. And, and that kind of reflects the challenge there like they should be excited creating something new without worrying too much about the coding practices is still I think it's a kind of um good side of the the creative mind what the developers are having like they want to create stuff and not be struggle, struggling with the, the the rules and regulations in a way but yeah that that comes like as a main thing they like how you make these integrated together and it's Again, there are no silver bullets there. Like it's it's all about how you are able to, to communicate, but how you're also able to integrate this work together. And it can happen through the processes, especially for tooling. Like automation is playing a big part there, in my opinion. Like, you know, if your build process is well made, it actually takes in all the tooling already. Though then the design reviews are the only thing which are left and, and possibly threat analysis and, and things like that. And of course, red teaming and pen testing, those are like coming anyway on the side. But but that's kind of, it's a huge integration uh, challenge in practice when you already have a talent. But like nowadays, it's really hard to find a talent as well. Like you you find a lot of people who know stuff. Yeah. But then there's a little bit smaller group of people who understand stuff. Right. And these understanding people are able to adopt in any situation you have when the knowledge people are more like, you know, putting the things they already know and, you know, try to put them fit in anywhere they see.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's a uh, skills gap is something we've, we've talked a lot about in, in some of the interviews we've done for this series. Uh, and the challenges you're talking about are near to dear to to my heart, certainly something that we, we see a lot when we're out there talking to customers. Uh, what's your perspective of the balance of reactive work? So responding to incidents versus proactive work, like building security requirements into product backlogs.
2: Yeah, again, I, I guess I have a little bit like revolutionary mind there, like <laughs> everybody knows that the incidents are, are super important and you have to do anything in, in your uh, power to limit the damage immediately. But again, there is this this theory of how much is, is enough investing for the, the, the efforts. And I, I really love to think uh, product security, again, as a holistic idea where There is no product security without reactive part of it. Like I even used to say on earlier, like if anybody's coming to you and saying that their their, uh, product is so secure that they don't need incident response team, or at least it's not nothing to talk about, then maybe you should reconsider that business relationship a little bit because everybody needs uh, some level of of reactive um, capabilities exactly limit the damage whether it's coming from online services or or even devices and the portion of of work i think there's no single one right answer okay it must be like this and this is the, the best way of doing it personally i've been um reflecting my kind of idea in a way like yeah let's let's think it this way like if you have an incident response team 80% 80% of their work time and the actual brain usage should go for building the, 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 the readiness and preparing for the actual incidents. Educating people, creating processes, knowing products, uh, putting everything in place. Um, and when something is coming, then they are ready and they know everybody, they know all the processes, they know tools and they see where to go. And they only need 20% of their personal time to get things organized. Because again, thinking incident response, it's supposed to be a management work. Like you put the team a crisis management team and then you start operating the team. But you are usually not uh, or shouldn't be the, the one who is then making all the decisions because it's probably some other product involved and they are making the business decisions over the product. So you just make sure like a little bit like, like a protocol that we follow the protocol, we make the right decisions and you're like, managing the whole thing but it shouldn't take too much on your time and and therefore like I, I like to think this 20, uh, 80 rule but of course in practice most of the incident response teams are working 100% with the incidents and then the rest of the 20% they do something else but uh, yeah so that, that's the kind of thinking I'm, I'm having in the incident response again in, in the product creation world when making product security decisions, it absolutely should be even more. The proactive work should be the huge magnitude in general, and the reactive side should be just enough of of limiting the damage to your customers or limiting the damage to your own business. But I guess it was something like 1960s or somewhere like IBM made on this saying already like, it's 10 times uh, more expensive to fix the bug which is in the product instead of fixing it in the code before you are releasing the product. And I, I don't have any exact measures on this, but I'm, I'm a great fan of that. Again, example of magnitude, it, it must be huge. But of course, the damage also what might become, if there is a breach or vulnerability in your product is, is in adding for fixing the issue as well. So yeah, that's, that's the thing. Like it's, it's a huge thing. And I think everybody should measure them a little bit on that but another thing there is when working on incidents it's a really difficult draw the line where you stop working like you should be able to say that I'm this incident is like low priority I'm only doing high priority so I still have some time to to prepare myself for even worse cases but having a a, a decision maker a leader and sponsors who accept this kind of thing like yeah, we put this on hold because there seems to be no damage on this at this point. And we focus on creating ourselves an even better system is something like that's the balancing act there is. Yeah, it, uh, it's
1: interesting. I think uh, as you get to more mature organizations, you see uh, a lot of that perspective and measuring the balance between proactive and reactive. But certainly in people who are new to product security often get catapulted in to the reactive work first, which is true of many different things, right? But often as a result of an incident or worry about incidents that have happened somewhere else and then working their way to be, to being more proactive.
2: Actually adding to that, it's it's a funny thing when, you know, been uh, selling this whole idea of the product security to my leadership. And sometimes we, we kind of have a philosophical discussion that why it's so difficult to sell the idea of product security against incidents and and i simplify it a lot i usually say when you have an incident, it's a fact exactly that okay there it is it sits there and i have to do something but when you have a product security investment it's a speculation something might get wrong typically these things go wrong here's the statistics like you know competition has made this way so um yeah but i can't prove it that it's exactly going to be like this but the incident is always like there's no question it already happens now we have to work on it and therefore, it's it's easier to, to get your incidents managed instead of getting your proactive work uh, buy-in and invested. One thing I've heard a couple of people say
1: is it, it, one interesting way to, to measure that is the idea that if you can get to sort of repeatable security controls, security requirements, put them into product backlogs, uh, then, then you can have um, you can have something that's measurable about progress made on proactive security. It's not the be all and end all, but gives you sort of a barometer, and then you can use it to aggregate it to like a business unit level and sort of show um, tracking against different groups. So it's one way to make it more measurable and tangible. So it's not the,
2: the only thing that matters is a defect or a, or an incident. Yes and having these kind of dashboards, I, I really like that's the key. When executives see their colleagues having more green than them, then they get upset and start investing more. <laughs> yes, <laughs> very true. So how, how should organizations think of security
1: as it relates to quality assurance?
2: Yeah, that's again, a uh, really interesting thing. And while seeing developing the security engineering process and, and security engineering coding practices from, nothing. Like when I started, we only have like this, I think, BS7799 standard from from UK as a basis for, and we had to create the whole security engineering principles and practices. It appeared really quickly that making a good security design and security implementation needs actually really good planning, really good like design, really good architecting, and then testing your software against all the misuse cases, against the robustness. But of course, then also for the actual use cases. And if you compare that, and again, really much simplifying in, in order to make it clear, I don't, I don't want to underestimate the effort of quality in, in practice, because there's lots of things to do there as well. But security helps, because in, in security, you are actually testing against everything. When quality typically is, is testing against the use cases and usability, like, is this going the way we planned it goes? Oh, yeah, it, it does exactly what we wanted to do. But when you test for the security, there's the guy that, okay, instead of selecting the obvious, I try to select something else. Or instead of giving the the number they are asking, I'm giving 2 billion characters and let's see what happens. So when you are putting security design and and, uh, code in place, you have way higher quality at the beginning already uh, for the product itself than just testing and thinking about the quality itself.
1: Yeah, very interesting. The other thing it seems, there's a parallel there is wasn't that long ago where software developers weren't necessarily accountable for writing tests not not across the board anyway uh, and and these days I'd, I'd like to think that's unthinkable right the that um, testing is part of the software developments job and I think we we foresee that happening with security in pretty much the same kind of maturity uh, you know curve if you will yeah what advice would you give to an organization that's just starting with product security? Where should they turn
2: for guidance? Um yeah, there's this like easy answer, hire the best talent. <laughs> Which is obvious. But yeah, it's that that is really the key. Like everything else is pretty much obsolete if, if you don't have the right talent in a team. But let's let's keep that and think that okay, you have the right people already. And I don't mean that they have to be seasoned product security managers or anything, because the the good side of, of product security and, and security in general, it's it's so old. It's decades. Maybe, you know, if we take the like really traditional view for the security and encryption is 100 years old. Yeah. So practical uh, uproads is really old and existing. And therefore, following the standards, following the industry forums, which are already releasing like great material, on on reading like I personally I used to be part of, of the forum called Safe Code. And I really like it that we had a humble idea of collecting together the industry leading software specialists and, and releasing the ideas how you are securing your, your software products, how you are securing your supply chain and things like, and releasing it free for everybody to use. And I think that's one great example to to get like generic view. On, on how to do. And then you can go after on these kind of security program, uh, maturity models, or just look what others are doing and compare yourself against those. But there is so much ready-made material out there, which, which I kind of makes it like, yeah, take just tran- trustworthy source and don't cut the corners. And I think you start really quickly getting there. And don't forget the basis, which is this risk management decision that hey, what I'm protecting, like sometimes you see things getting really difficult when people don't focus on on like, hey, what's the asset I'm protecting? Like, you know, you have a database or you have an online system. Where is the most critical data in, in that system, or where's the most critical information, and then where is the most critical functionality? And then you focus on those. And when you start thinking threats against these kind of things, it kind of naturally takes you to the right path. Like, hey, I'm having this information, but anybody can read it. Oh, maybe we need encryption or handling. It's like it it flies all over the internet. And like, yeah, maybe we should protect it somehow. But it really easily takes you to the right place. And when you then think about these frameworks already available there, I, I like to think like, yeah, just be humble and, and start studying what others have been doing and focus on your assets and prioritize against your assets. And you can't get wrong. Of course, hiring the, the, the talent is easy, like quick step already there. But if, if you start like educating people, then I, I would say through this is kind of quite a good way. Okay, so it sounds like a good way
1: to get started looking at the industry best practices, making sure you have the right people. What would you say are the typical stages of maturity of product security?
2: I know we alluded a little bit to this before. Huh. Yeah, it's, uh, it's getting close to that, what we already discussed a little bit on this. What's the challenge with organization? Typically, it is that you have on, and now a little bit playing on the stereotypes here, just to make it entertaining, but you have this segregated geek sitting somewhere and telling horror stories how things go wrong. And that's the first stage of of the the security. Okay, somebody is aware. And and then you start building around that, like the professional risk management decisions, all the tooling and stuff. And you have the security team there helping the the product creation, but also helping your customers, helping your business decision makers to to align and, and invest in the right ways and the right level. And that's the second level that since awareness, you actually have a capability as well when you are then pushing your capability towards to the more maturity it's getting more and more integrated into your natural product uh, support and creation processes and and the ultimate outcome supposed to be that there is no security team like yeah we we don't have security people here because practically everybody is security people and that's the kind of uh, outcome there should be again not saying that there is no use for uh, red teaming or, or pen testing like these kind of special functions still exist, but if you think product creation and, and services uh, maintenance, security should be integral part of everything you do. And and again, not overkilling the meaning, but it's you don't even have to call it security. You are probably calling it just proper functionality, but you are testing it with the tools and methods, which same way make them, uh, them robust and, and secure. But that That's the kind of scale I would say, figuring out something, having the capability and then having it completely integrated on all tools and systems and decision making. And actually the decision making is, is super important there. What I've seen uh, failing in my past somewhere is like, you can have anything you like, but if if actually the business decisions are not aligned with your security risk taking then business can run completely freely and make all kinds of deals and decisions and commitments. And then security is not able to deliver those. And that creates a really risky gap really easily. And therefore security is not only engineering, but it actually is the business decision as well. So it should be all the C-suite guys as well. And of course the CEO themselves understanding that, hey, I'm actually investing something which is the enabler to my business, but it's also protecting my business.
1: Right. And protecting your customer's business. Especially. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that sounds good. I, I like that framework. So any, any other, anything else you wanted to share with the listeners, Yane? Um,
2: yeah, maybe a uh, little bit on the journey of, of like, how did I start this whole thing? Because yeah maybe you recognize this is a lot of like, oh, I used to do this. I used to do that kind of thing. And I think it's it's an interesting story because there are probably not any more many possibilities of doing the product security the way I did. And you know, a little bit explaining in the background. When I started my product security uh, career, I I had like practically no glue, and we had like incidents where uh, it was claimed that some of our products were attacked by malware, which is killing the products. And, and we had to respond to that and and clean it up and clear, realize that, OK, it was misleading information. There wasn't actually killer virus. It was really malformative data, which was not even possible to put in the systems. But I, I got invite from my manager, like, OK, make sure that this is never, ever happening to our products again. And this was my, my Nokia times a billion years ago. So how we started was like um, we, we started to comprehensive analysis that what all has gone wrong in in our products on the marketplace, hoaxes, rumors, anything. We collected everything in one place on what what went wrong in the devices, what went wrong on on the networks. And that gave us a basis that, okay, what problem we are trying to solve. Um, Then we started to look like, okay, our current um, production is, is like this, like networks and devices and software in between. So we started to analyze that what would be perfect architecture for mobile devices, mobile networks. And, and like application ecosystem. And without thinking any limitations of the reality or money or anything, like just how the perfect would work. And once we got this, this uh, analysis done, then we looked at, okay, what's the gap between the reality and, and this really dream state kind of um, thing. And we identified uh, lots of technologies, lots of things to be implemented. For example, good hardware security, uh, encryptions, of course, application uh, security, software signing systems, and, and that kind of gave us an understanding of the roadmap, like coming from here, ending up there, we need all these kind of things to be done. And that, for example, created like new hardware security model, which is nowadays used as a trusted execution environment. And it's really widely used from even in clouds and, and mobile devices. We created this Symbian platform security with Symbian and a couple of other key stakeholders And yeah, like application uh, ecosystem and software signing uh, for apps and uh, like operating systems to support that all. And once we had technologies and everything in place, we realized that, yeah, things are still not perfect. And it was exactly the thing we discussed, like, yeah, because engineers don't know how to make secure code. They don't know how to use these technologies. So we have to create security engineering process. And, and then help people to be able to utilize all these wonderful technologies, but also to develop software in in a secure way, avoiding functions and, and doing the right testing. And that created the need for uh, training and awareness programs. And, and if you think what we discussed earlier, this is exactly basis on, on like, I had to learn this all hard way, like, hey, now we are almost perfect. Oh, what's missing? Oh, training. And... That made it really interesting that I, I, I was so happy I, I got the privilege of learning this all. And once we got like in-house things done, like, okay, now the whole corporate global is doing the right thing. We still have vulnerable technologies, vulnerable applications, because our supply chain is doing whatever they want to do. So we have to go and start fixing the supply chain by through education. But again... That's too slow. When you go to your supplier and start educating, they already are having a deal with you and they just want to close the deal and go to the next one. There we realized that, okay, we have to proactively uh, educate our suppliers, but because we don't know them before they have a deal, we have to educate the whole industry. And we started to create these industry forums. There was a digital Europe in, in Europe where I was chairman of, of the mobile security group, helping to, to spread the message through the industry and then start creating standard uproads, bug bounty programs, all kind of collaboration with uh, uh, security researchers. And, and there was this like this safe code and BSIM and, and, and VSIE and all kind of forms start rising. But then we realized that, okay, now we have the let's say, uh, fix the industry. Of course, we never fixed it, but like, you know, we know what to do with the industry. But then there was one party left, which was like all the regulative frameworks and and like law enforcement and all these guys that... They are in trouble because we do so weird uh, security implementations and strong security that they, don't, they are not able to do their work. And they are a little bit under the pressure, like, OK, we have to solve these cases. These guys are hiding everything from us. So then we realized that they are pressurizing industry through the politicians and politics. So then we had to expand, like, OK, let's create the standards which are uh, supporting everybody in a fair way, but still protecting the end user as well. And that was the last uh, step of realizing like, yeah, you have to actually create a really robust standards, which everybody has to align with in order to, to support like a uh, healthy um, ecosystem, everybody to live in, but still not like many, you know, destroying the security of your products. And yeah, there is no like clear solution there. But if you think end to end, starting like one bug there in, in a device, ending up like fixing the political environment industry and lobbying around like everything in between and and that's the product security i i see like all this is necessary if you want to have secure products you have to deal with all kind of problems like you have seen in, in public discussion as well while you are still fixing the technologies and and you know helping the industry to to create right stuff to do as well and yeah, so that's the basis, like why I have so many opinions, even more than people want to listen typically. So.
1: <laughs> no, I think it's, personally, I think it's fascinating. It's, it's one of my favorite parts of doing this podcast series is talking to, to people like you who have been at the forefront of things that have kind of revolutionized the industry, you know, years before they became the norm. So yeah. uh, really fascinating. I really appreciate you sharing your, your story with us. So thanks for joining today. Like I said, I found it very educational. I'm sure the listeners will too. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for
2: having me. Thank you. Yep. Bye. Right.
0: Want to learn about what Security Compass has to offer? Check out securitycompass.com slash demo for a free demo today. Want more of the Balancing Act? Be sure to subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts for more episodes.